When I was growing up uh, in Oklahoma, I heard several stories uh, from the Chisholm family helping to explain who we are as Chisholms. Okay? Uh, one of the oldest stories of the Chisholm family goes back to William Chisholm, who in 1066 participated as a Norman invader in the Battle of Hastings, and who because of his exploits was granted lands along Loch Ness in the highlands of Scotland. Okay, and I was told as a very young man that part of what it means to be a Chisholm is it means to be brave and valiant. Okay, that's our crest behind us. That pharos ferio means I am fierce with the fierce. Okay, because that, that fits, I think. That's good. Uh, another cool story I heard growing up is the story of Jesse Chisholm. He was my great, great, great uncle. He's the one who blazed the Chisholm Trail. Okay, later in life, he worked as a diplomat negotiating treaties between the federal government and the Cherokee. Okay, I was taught what it means to be a Chisholm is it means to be an explorer and a leader. That's true. We don't bow down to statues. Thank you. I remember as a child hearing stories of my grandfather in World War II. I remember hearing stories of his grandfather who fought in Wild West gunfights. Okay, when I was a kid, I was taught being a Chisholm is an honorable thing. Okay, and when you wear the name Chisholm, you don't just represent yourself, but you are representing a long line of people who came before you, right? This is who you are. Okay, now, my mother also had some stories to tell about Chisholm men. They weren't quite as flattering, uh, but that's a whole other sermon series. All right, here's the thing. Here's the reason I tell you this. Okay, all of us tell stories about who we are. Okay, all of us tell stories about what kind of people we come from. What kind of people are our people? How do we see ourselves? Okay, and I know I've made this point before. We talked about this in class this morning. I've preached on this before. I've taught on this before. And I will continue to preach on this because it is vital for who we are as a people of God. Okay, stories matter. The way that you tell your story matters. It matters because the stories you tell about yourself go a long way in forming you and impacting how you see yourself in the world and how you act with the world around you. All right, we've talked before about how God very intentionally in Scripture tells us lots of stories. Right? God could have just given us a rule book. Right? If I was the one writing the Bible, I would have written a much smaller book and it would have just been a very simple, here's what you're supposed to do, here's what you're not supposed to do, just do that and everything will work out well. But you notice that God doesn't do it that way. Instead, He gives us a book that is full of stories. Okay, even some of the parts of Scripture where God does give us just straight lists of commands, He usually starts that with a story. Right? Like in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, He starts by saying, Remember, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. He says, Remember the story. And then He goes on to give them the commands. Okay, it's rooted in story. You know, I think part of this is because we will never become the people that God wants us to be just by following rules. And yet, if we start understanding the stories of Scripture, we start letting those stories form us, we can come much closer to the heart of God. All right, so a couple things I want to do uh, this morning. I want to talk first off about what we often get wrong when we read Bible stories. Okay, there's two things I think we do incorrectly uh, when we read Bible stories. I want to address both of them this morning. All right, in the first place, 
I think for many of us, uh, we first hear these stories from Scripture as children's stories, okay, which I think is good, okay, but what's bad is that we often leave them as children's stories. Okay, for instance, Noah and the Ark is not a children's story. Right? You can tell it to kids. I certainly have told that story to my kids, but you can't just leave it there or you'll miss the point of the story. Okay, don't leave these as kids' stories. In the second place, what we do is we chop up larger stories into smaller pieces and we miss the big picture that the Bible story is painting. Hey, for instance, one of my favorite stories growing up as a kid was the story of David and Goliath. Right? I like that because it's about David and I always identified with him. Right? Okay, and it's this great story about how the little boy conquers the giant. You can get some great lessons out of that. Okay, but if you rip that story out of its context, you don't see how it's part of a much grander narrative of what God is doing through His King for the redemption of all of Israel. Okay, I think sometimes when looking at these Bible stories, we miss the forest because we're so focused on these individual trees. We miss a lot of what God is doing in these narratives. Is that fair? All right, so we're going to talk a little bit more um, about the story of Joseph. I think this is one of the foundational stories in Scripture, one that we've often heard as children, one that apparently some of our kids know pretty well. I mean, I want to talk about this story in a way that avoids these two pitfalls. Okay, story starts in Genesis 37. Uh, I'll try not to tell it quite as colorfully as Ty did and leave out some of that since you already heard it once this morning. Okay, but Genesis 37 we start with Jacob, okay, as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Jacob, who had 12 sons, the youngest, the hero of our story, the favorite of his father is the young man named Joseph. Okay, and as the story begins, the text tells us that Joseph is only 17 years old. Okay, and the story starts with him having a series of dreams. In his dreams, he sees that his brothers will bow down before him. And so Joseph, at this point, does what any little brother would do. He goes to his older siblings and bothers them. Right? And if you have a younger sibling, okay, then you know what I'm talking about, right? A younger sibling goes to his older brothers, bothers them about this. Now, they don't take it very well. Not only is this Joe dad's favorite, he also thinks he's better than we are. Right? So the brothers conspire to kill him. Uh, they want to get rid of him permanently. His oldest brother intercedes at the last minute and says, let's not kill our brother. Let's just sell him off into slavery. Okay, and then we'll tell dad that he's been ripped apart by some wild animal. Okay, so they do that. Joseph eventually makes his way down to Egypt. Okay, and, and keep in mind, Egypt is the center of the world. This is the center of civilization. This is the center of culture. It's the most powerful nation on earth by a long shot. Okay, what we care about is what happens in Egypt. Okay, Joseph ends up the property of one guy named Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. The story says very specifically, God was with Joseph, gave him success in everything he did. Potiphar puts him in charge of his entire household, and then his stories often go, a woman derails the entire plan. Okay, Potiphar's wife comes along, tries to seduce Joseph, okay, but even though he's only a teenager, even though nobody would know, even though Joseph has no family in Egypt, even though to refuse her could cause terrible repercussions in the life of Joseph, he still resists the temptation and refuses to be with her. I think one of the greatest stories of character in all of Scripture is Joseph refusing the advances of Potiphar's wife in Genesis. 
Okay, so Potiphar's wife throws Joseph into prison. He meets the cupbearer and the baker for Pharaoh, interprets their dreams, sees that what happens is exactly what does end up happening. The cupbearer is restored to his position. The baker loses his head. And yet Joseph has to sit in prison for two more years. Yet later, when Pharaoh has dreams of his own, nobody in Pharaoh's court can interpret them. And yet the cupbearer says, Ah, I remember this one Hebrew I knew years ago. We bring Joseph in. He interprets these dreams for Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, yes, you have the dreams correct. He's so impressed with young man Joseph, he makes him second in command of the entire kingdom. Okay, and the Bible is very specific at this point to say that through the work of Joseph, through what Joseph does by storing the grain in the years of plenty and then selling it back to the people in the years of famine, it says that the entire world is blessed because of the work of Joseph. Okay, that's key to the story. The whole world receives a blessing because God was with Joseph in Egypt. Now, of course, one of the most important side effects of the famine is Joseph's brothers show up to Egypt. They end up bowing down before him, fulfilling the earlier dream, and they have to ask him for grain. Okay, they don't recognize Joseph at this point. So in typical brother fashion, Joseph messes with them for a while, back and forth, before finally revealing himself to his brothers and saying, I am your long-lost brother Joseph. When he finally does, they are terrified at this. Okay, imagine you sold your brother off into slavery, then later you find out he's now in charge of the world. He can do anything he wants to you. Okay, they're worried Joseph will kill them, but he doesn't. He says, you intended this for evil, but God intended it for good. The whole family ends up moving to Egypt. That's usually where we end the story. And yet the last piece of the story is really what I think is the most important. Because the last few chapters of Genesis, we end with a series of blessings. Okay, Jacob, when he goes to Egypt, ends up blessing Pharaoh. Okay, that's important. Right? We also give blessings for all the twelve sons of Jacob. We even give blessings for Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Everybody gets a blessing at the end of Genesis. The end. All right. Uh, three things I'd like to highlight about this story, all of which fit into what we talked about earlier um, and how our stories help us determine who we are. Okay, stories are foundational. They inform the way we see ourselves, which changes how we interact with the world. All right, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. That is that we are a covenant people. Okay, we are a covenant people. Right, anytime you are reading a Bible story, even if you're just reading what you think of as a kid's story to your children, okay, what I want you to do anytime you're reading a section of Scripture is ask yourself, what is this book of the Bible that I'm reading from about? Okay, in other words, ask the forest question before you start looking at the trees. What is the theme? What is the main point of this book? And then you can start to figure out, okay, now how does what I'm reading fit into that? Okay, the book of Genesis is all about the covenant that God has made with his people. Okay, just a reminder, here's Genesis 12, 2 through 3. Okay, this is where God first speaks to Abraham and makes this covenant relationship with him. The whole rest of the book is about this. God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
Okay, God will talk about this further in the story with Abraham. But basically, we end up with three big promises that God makes to Abraham. And the rest of Genesis is all about how is God possibly going to fulfill these big promises he made to our father Abraham. Okay, in the first place, you get a promised land, right? God will take you to a land he will show you. And then you get a promised people. He says, Abraham, I know that you're very old. I know that your wife is very old. But you will have a promised people come through you. And then finally, he says, there is a blessing. The whole world will be blessed through you. Promised land, promised people, promised blessing. All right? The rest of Genesis is all about how God begins to fulfill these promises. Okay, the cycle of Abraham, all the stories we tell about Abraham, it's about how God takes him to a place he's never seen and says, this is the land that I will give to you. And Abraham begins to take possession of the land. Okay, then we get into Isaac and Jacob. And now it's primarily about the people. How will God overcome all of these women who can't conceive children? Well, God's going to do it. How can God bring about a people, even though he's dealing with one really old couple? Well, God can do it. We start to get the promised people. All right, and then starting in chapter 37, with the Joseph story, we start to answer the question, how will this family bless the entire world? All right, Joseph, a son of the covenant, through the power of God working in his life, saves the world from starvation. Okay, Joseph blesses the world. Okay, also I mentioned this earlier, but at the end of the story, uh, you get this interesting little line you could easily read right over if you aren't careful. Notice verse 7 um, of chapter 47. This is after we get the whole family to Egypt. It says, Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in, presented him before Pharaoh, and after Jacob blessed Pharaoh... Pharaoh asks him, how old are you? Now, it's supposed to go that the greater blesses the lesser, right? Pharaoh's king of the world. He should be blessing Jacob, but that's not the way the story reads. It reads that this Jewish farmer from far away comes in and blesses Pharaoh. Okay? We see that God is beginning this process of blessing the entire world through his covenant people. All right, so what's the point for us? Our identity is that we are the heirs of this covenant. Okay, if we don't have that as the foundation for who we are as people, we have missed the point of Scripture. We are the heirs of this covenant. We are the ones supposed to be doing these things. Okay, this covenant is more important than Pharaoh. It's more important than family. It's more important than anything. Okay, your primary identity as a follower of Jesus is you are an heir of this covenant Okay, and part of that means we're supposed to be the people that bless the whole world, right? All right, number two. Um, and that is that we are taking part in a story that God is telling. All right, over and over in this, in this story, you hear the line, the Lord was with Joseph. Okay, every time we go to a new scene, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Okay, and my only point with this is you are not the main character in your story. Okay, Joseph was not the main character in the Joseph story. The main character in the Joseph story and the main character in my story and in your story is God. Okay, God is telling this amazing story in the world around us. He's been telling it for a long time. And you and I get to be part of God's story. 
Now, why that matters so much is because when we start thinking that we are the main character in our story, we start thinking about ourselves first and our wants and our needs, and we start living that selfish life that's focused on me. Instead, when we realize we're part of God's story, we can put God at the center, and then my life becomes much more about service to God than it is about service to me. We get the God thing centered, the rest of our lives will start to make sense. We don't get the God thing centered first, then your story's never going to go the way you want it to go. Fair enough? All right, number three. That is that we are a people of character. Now, very interestingly, Joseph is one of only a few characters in the entire Bible that nothing bad is ever said about him. Okay, there's nothing negative. There's no you know, negative characteristics that come up out of the story, right? You think about guys like Moses and David and, of course, Peter and Paul and all those guys. There's always big negative things that we have to work through. But with Joseph, we hold him up as an example of what righteousness looks like, right? And there's no excuses, right? Joseph, by every reason, should have fallen away from the covenant people, but he doesn't. Okay, he's a teenager, he's far away from home, nobody would have known. It would have been much better for him in the moment to fall away, but he doesn't. Okay, Joseph shows us that we are to be a people of character. Alright, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Um, during the singing of this song, I will be down front, one of our shepherds will be down front. Uh, And if there's anything we as a church can help you with, this is the time we want to be here for you. Uh, If you'd like us to pray with you or study with you, whatever it may be, we want to be here for you. Uh, As you go throughout the rest of your week and as you interact with your family, uh, I want you to think about this story. Think about the Joseph story. Think about the Bible story. Think about how do we share foundational stories with the people around us in a way that forms us, in a way that forms our children, in a way that draws us to be more the people of God. Right, and before we sing our invitation song, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.